truly we are just passing through. We are not long for this life. And may God, through his word, get us a little bit more ready for what's to come. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would speak. First and foremost, that you would impart truth to us, that you would refine us as we live our lives on this earth. Lord, guard us and protect us and help us to be more like you and a lot less like this world. And Father, I pray for your sovereign enablement right now. I pray that you would guide me and grant me just a, just a spirit-filled freedom and sensitivity to follow your leading through this passage, that you might help me to convey your truth in a way that is practical and yet biblically accurate as well. And so, Father, just put your arms around your children and those who need to be your children and speak truth now to them. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. This past Friday was Valentine's Day. Woo-woo! February 14th, day of love, month of love. Don't know what all you guys did, but there are all kinds of ways to express one's love on Valentine's Day. Now, one young man that I know set the bar very, very, very high this past week. Okay, Friday, I drop the kids off at school. They go to Aurora Christian up in Aurora, and uh, I pull in the parking lot, drop my kids off, and then I'm exiting the parking lot, and I see this kid sitting in a parking spot. And it's like nine degrees out, and he's sitting in a camping chair, and he's holding a cup of coffee. Here's a picture of him. And and next to him is a big stuffed animal, a doggy, and 12, you know, dozen pink roses, and a box of chocolates. He is waiting in his girlfriend's parking spot for her to get to school. Everybody said, Oh, man, talk about making the rest of us look bad. Oh, good night. And, uh, and by the way, the Starbucks coffee that he held was also for her. Man, oh. So, okay, now, ladies, you can also do things for your guys, though. You can bless the man in your life. You can give him a bouquet. And you may say, my husband doesn't want any flowers. I'm talking love me a bacon bouquet. Now we're talking. <laughs> All right? They smell a whole lot better than roses, and they taste a whole lot better than roses. That's the kind of bouquet I want. Us men are worth it. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's what I'm talking, okay? Now, you got to be careful, though, on Valentine's Day, all right? Because there are certain things you probably shouldn't do or shouldn't give. Like, uh, now, there's, you know, men, there's some places where you shouldn't take your wife. But a couple weeks ago in Plainfield, I took this picture of a marquee at a McDonald's. Spend your Valentine's Day with us. I thought, I ain't going there. Get me in big trouble. Okay? okay. Or there are certain things you don't want to give her. There's a guy who approached his wife with a platter full of cleaning supplies on Valentine's Day. I'm talking a plunger. I'm talking an iron. And I love the caption, missing, last seen February 14th, presumed dead. (laughs) Yeah, she probably made the guy drink the stuff. but, But anyway, love can be expressed in numerous ways. And love should be received and responded to in certain ways as well. And this morning, we're going to see the give-and-take relationship of love. And we're going to learn how we should be giving it, as well as how we should be responding or receiving it. And we're going to learn these lessons in Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. Now, as, as you're turning there, I want you to understand, the Israelites just stunk. They, they, they just stunk at receiving God's love and responding the right way. 
They were just horrible at it. Their attitudes were all wrong. They took God for granted. They were unappreciative. And, and on the other hand, God just excels at pouring out his love toward his valentine, toward his people. So generous with love and so gracious with love. And so there are good examples to learn from as well as bad examples. And, and we'll be primarily looking at the bad examples for our own lives to learn from. Now, as you're turning to Nehemiah chapter 9, I want you to understand the people have gathered in Jerusalem with their leader, Nehemiah. And they've been overcome by the Spirit of God. And they've been confessing their sins to God. And they've been reading Scripture and listening to Scripture. And they've been reviewing God's goodness. How, how He chose Abraham and gave him and his descendants the land. He made promises and fulfilled those promises and rescued His people out of the land of Egypt in, in miraculous ways and led them through the wilderness and provided for them and descended upon Mount Sinai and gave them his precious word to give them guidance, guidance in this world. And so God has shown his incredible love to his people time and time again. And then we see the people's response to such incredible love. Nehemiah 9 verse 16. But they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn and would not listen to your commandments. They refused to listen, did not remember your wondrous deeds, which you had performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. How's that, God? How's that, God, for all your love? This is how we're going to act toward you. And they scorn the incredible love of their God. And at first point, you may say, how could they do that? I want you to stop and I want you to understand something. You and I are prone to do the same thing. Be very, very careful that you do not scorn the love of your God toward you. And we need to guard our hearts from scorning the love of God. And we need to guard our hearts five ways. And the first way is this. We need to guard our heart from arrogance. Verse 16 they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. And what's crazy here is this was the same sin that the Egyptians showed toward the Israelites. In chapter 10 of this, or chapter 9, verse 10 of this book, we read that they performed, you performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and against all his servants and all the people of his, his land, for you knew that they acted arrogantly toward them. The Egyptians looked down their nose at the Israelites. Those Hebrew slaves, we have more gods than you. We have better gods than you. We are your masters. You are our servants. And there was such an arrogant attitude from the Egyptians to the, to the Hebrews. And, and what does God people do? The same exact sin, but toward God. And they stick their noses up in the air, and they are arrogant toward their God. It's sad when the sin that we so clearly see and can point out in other people, we so completely excuse and overlook in our own lives. And God is saying, some of you can spot arrogance and pride a mile away, and you better start looking in the mirror because you have the same problem in your own life. The Israelites did not even see it. These Hebrews needed to take the log out of their own eyes. Now, the problem with arrogance is that it really makes a mess of everything. Pride comes before a, a fall. Now, look at these arrogant fathers. Verse 16, they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. I want you to understand an important lesson here. 
Arrogant fathers make a mess of their own lives. They leave a mess for their children's lives. And they lead generations. They lead them into years of messes. That's what happened to the Israelites. The fathers of old in their arrogance made a mess for their own lives, a mess for their children, and a mess for generations to come. Dads, take note as you lead your families. Your arrogance will not only make a mess in your own life, but your children's lives and generations to come, including your grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Be careful to be humble before your God and not proud, because arrogance can cost you and them financially. Arrogance can cost you and them relationally. Arrogance can cost you, most importantly, spiritually. God, help us to be humble men and set our families up that God might bless them and that we not leave a mess for them. So so guard your heart from arrogance. Secondly, guard your heart from stubbornness. They became stubborn, meaning unyielding, inflexible, unmoving. They weren't going anywhere. Like an obstinate mule or a donkey that just refuses to budge or change, stiffen their neck, they just freeze in place and dare God to just try to move you. Now, I don't know about you, but I have ice on my driveway and on my walkway. Some over here, some over there. Not a lot, but there's some spots. And we had our small group over last Thursday night, and there was some ice on the sidewalk that that I wanted to get off. And, And I couldn't get it off with a regular shovel, so I had to take out the tool. The big ice scraper, you know, a handle, and it's got a big metal scraper at the bottom. And let me tell you something, I won. I won. (laughs) That ice may have said, I'm staying right here, and I'm not moving, but I just start banging into that thing, and it goes shooting here and shooting there, and I remove the ice, okay? I cleared a path. I want you to understand something. When we are inflexible and unyielding and frozen in place and just daring God, he can take out the tool. He can take out the tool. He's got specialty tools that know how to break us. And if you will not thaw out your heart before your God, he will break you. He'll take out the tool, the the, the occupational tool. And all of a sudden, that job that was so secure is not secure anymore. Oh, he gets your attention. He takes out the physical tool. All of a sudden, your health isn't what it used to be. He knows how to humble us. He takes out the relational tool. All of a sudden, the relationship falls apart. He knows how to get our attention. It is so much better to thaw our hearts before our God on our own, before he has to take out the tool. Frozen in place, thaw your heart out. Guard your heart from arrogance. Guard your heart from stubbornness. Guard your heart from disobedience. Disobedience. The end of verse 16 and the beginning of verse 17, two times. They would not listen to your commandments. They refuse to listen. There was this blatant refusal. God, we are not going to listen to you. And this was after he rescued them miraculously and guided them perfectly and provided for them abundantly and loved them unconditionally. And they say, we are not listening. I want to encourage you. God has given you his word to be followed. God has given you his word, all of it, to be taken in. You know, this past Friday was Valentine's Day. Some of you got a box of chocolates, and and you know what it's like when you get a box of chocolates. You're not sure what some of them are, and you pick one up, and you bite, and you go, ugh, 
and you put it back or you throw it out, and you look for the one with the caramel and the nuts and the dark chocolate. That's, I'm all over that, okay? But that stuff with the coconut cream and orange chunk, the, why are you putting that in there? I mean, what is up with that? See, some of you open up God's word and you don't like the coconut cream that he's given you. And you don't like the orange stuff. And unlike chocolate, his word, all of it is good for us. And God is saying, my word is not a box of chocolates for you to try and throw out if you don't like it. It's for you to ingest and enjoy and take it whether you like it or not. And some of you treat God's word like a box of chocolate and it needs to stop. You need to say, God, I need to listen to all of your word because there's some areas in your life you've not been listening to. And God is saying, it's, it's time to start listening to my word and, and stop insisting that your way is the better way. Hello, he's the God of the universe. He created this thing all-knowing, all-powerful. I think he knows a little bit more than you and me. Uh, stop refusing his will. Stop, in other words, becoming a fool. Yes, a fool. Proverbs 18, 2. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in what? Revealing his own mind. You know people like that. You want to talk to them, and all they want to do is talk, 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 talk about what they're going to do, and where they're going to go, and what they're going to be. And, what and it's like, will you just shut up? I want to talk to you about something. But they just have to talk about their plans and what they're doing and where they're going and they have no time for anybody to understand them. Some of you are like that with God. Talk, 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 talk. You got your big plans and you're going to go do this and you're going to go over there and this is what you're going to be. And God is saying, you're a fool because all you want to do is reveal your mind. And by the way, God can read our minds and honestly, they don't overly impress him. They don't. They don't. Uh, he, he is the God of, of all creation. The, the, the amount of wisdom and knowledge, there, there is, you can't plumb the depths of it. And so he's not overly impressed with your plans and what you think and what I think. He, he's just not. So it's time to open up our minds and say, God, speak to me. And it's time to open up our ears and say, God, I want to listen now. Speak to me. So guard your hearts from arrogance and guard your and guard your hearts from disobedience. In verse 17, guard your heart from forgetfulness. I'll say it again, just in case you forget. Guard your heart from forgetfulness. And they did not remember your wondrous deeds, what a shame, which you had performed among them. They did not remember God's wondrous deeds? I mean, come on, seriously? miraculous plagues that set them free and walking on dry land through the Red Sea and manna from heaven falling to feed them and water that flows from a rock and quail on the wind and a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. How could they not remember? Let me rephrase it. They didn't care to remember. They didn't care to remember because they didn't have time for God. It was all about them their dreams, and all about them, and and what they wanted to do, and all about them, and right now, and all about me, and self, and they failed to realize they wouldn't be where they were unless God had done what he did. You wouldn't be where you are unless God had done what he did. Talk about ingratitude. I mean, ladies, some of you understand this ingratitude that you feel, Tonight, you make this huge dinner, or last night, you make a wonderful meal, you shop for all the ingredients, you slave away in the kitchen, you make everything special, you got that new recipe, you're so excited to feed your family, they devour it. And then the next night comes, and they're like, what's for dinner? What's for dinner? I'm hungry. 
It's like, well, wait a minute. Didn't you remember how I fed you last night and everything that went into it? And I, uh, yeah, but that was last night. I want to know what's for dinner tonight. We treat God the same way. What's in it for me, God? Well, yeah, I know you helped me out yesterday, and I know last week you did that, and last month, yeah, but what's, what's in it for me today? How are you going to help me today? How are you going to get me out of it today, God? We're so ungrateful. I want you to understand, gratitude is not something we should wait the third week of November to be and show. It should be something we do every day. And I want to encourage you to sit down as a family, maybe at dinner every single night. Maybe it's just you and your husband. Maybe it's just you and a friend. And maybe you just need to start thinking, what can I thank God for today? What did he teach me today? What did he show me today? How did he provide for me? Or maybe this past week. How did I see God work this past week? What divine appointment did he set up? What blessing that he showed me that I was not expecting? And maybe we need to start every single day taking note. Maybe writing in a journal. Maybe recording God's goodness to you and how he's provided or something that he's done. Guard against arrogance and guard against stubbornness and disobedience and forgetfulness. In verse 17, by all means, guard against rebelliousness. So they became stubborn. There's that word again. And they appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. Talk about slapping God across the face after everything that he had done to free them. They're saying, we're going back. I want you to notice stubbornness again. Stubbornness is related to rebelliousness. Stubborn people, don't miss this, become rebellious people. Oh, they do. Let me put it to you this way, and then I'll repeat it. Refusal to follow God's direction means you'll eventually go your own direction, means you'll certainly go the wrong direction, means you'll ultimately regret you didn't go the right direction. I'll say it again. Refusal to follow God's direction means you'll eventually go the wrong direction, means you'll certainly uh, go, I mean, go your own direction, means you'll certainly go the wrong direction, means you'll ultimately regret that you didn't go the right direction in the first place. Our plans are not better than God's plans, and to think so is self-deception. Some of you here today, you're self-deceived. You think you know better than God and His Word. You don't. It's time to come out of your fog of self-deception and understand he is God and you are not. What it is, it's rebellion. Call it what it is. You need to repent of your rebellion. When you know what God says and you refuse to do it, it is rebellion. That's what it is. Repent of your rebellion. It's a slap in God's face. And by the way, it's a slap in Moses' face. They appointed a leader to return to Egypt. I mean, Moses was God's man like, like no other man was God's man. I mean, he had the hand of God on him, miracle after miracle. The voice of God spoke to him. He would come down from the mountain and his face would be glowing because of the presence of God. The word of God was given through him. Who else goes up into the mountain and comes down with two stone tablets carved with the very finger of Almighty God, the commandments? Only Moses. 
He has the leading of God, evident by him, leading them out of Egypt, leading them through the dry bed in the Red Sea. This is incredible. Hand of God on him, voice of God speaking to him, word of God given through him, leading of God evident to him. We want a new leader. Who are you going to take? Foolishness. And, And by the way, not only that, but you have to remember Moses interceded for these people. He fell on his knees and fell on his face before God because God wanted to kill him on the spot. And God said, Moses, I'll raise up new people out of you. And Moses said, no, because then your testimony, Lord, is on the line. And what will they say back in Egypt? And Lord, Lord, just forgive these people. Pardon these people. They were spared and alive because of this leader they wanted to abandon. Just, just listen to them. Numbers 14, too. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? A fall by the sword, our wives, our little ones will become plunder. Would it not have been better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. The gossip behind the scenes, the slander behind the scenes. Can you imagine? Sadly, Godly leadership sometimes isn't followed, isn't appreciated, and isn't supported. Sometimes we see this in homes. When children don't follow, don't appreciate, and don't support their godly parents. Shameful. Shameful ingratitude. Sometimes we see it in homes with wives who don't follow and don't appreciate and don't support a godly husband. Shameful. Shameful ingratitude. Sometimes we see it in churches with people who don't support, don't appreciate, don't follow godly pastors or church leaders. Shameful. Shameful ingratitude. I know what some of you are thinking, oh my goodness, what's going on? I don't know, but if something's going on, let me know, okay? We're just going through the passage of following godly leadership. By the way, it's a New Testament teaching as well. In the context of church leaders in the local church, we have Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with what? Joy and not with grief for this would be unprofitable for you. He's saying, follow godly leadership, obey godly leadership, and be a joy to the leaders in the church, whether it's pastors, directors, deacons. Be a joy, not a grief. See, don't be one of those people when leaders see them coming, they say, oh no, not them again. Be one of those people when church leaders see them coming, they get a smile on their face. See, what do you do to the leadership of this church? When the leaders in this church, whether a pastor or a director or a deacon or a teacher, when they see you coming, is it like their heart sinks because you're coming? Or is it like their heart gets happy because you're a blessing to them and you're a blessing to this church? Be a blessing. Be a blessing. Now, Obey your leaders to them. Now, if it's a doctrinal error or a character issue, that's something different, obviously. 
and confrontation needs to take place there and things like that. That's a totally different matter. But if it's a matter of something you have as a preference, it's not doctrinal, you, you better be real careful and make sure you think through it and, and trust leadership and who sees the big picture that you might not see the big picture. Now, Hebrews 13, verse 17, then leads into 18. Obey your leaders, submit to them. Verse 18, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience. We know we have a good conscience, and we're desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in everything. And that's the leadership of this church. We have a good conscience before God, and we're desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in everything before God Almighty. But I want you to notice what he says. He says, obey your leaders, and then he follows it up with what? Pray for your leaders, verse 18. So obey your leaders and pray. I want to tell you something. I need your prayers. The pastoral staff needs your prayers. Our directors need your prayers. Your deacons, your, your, your ABF leaders, small group leaders, they need your prayers. I want you to understand, spiritual leaders have a huge target on them. The enemy goes after us in ways you don't even understand. You don't understand the pressure spiritual leaders face. You don't understand what our families go through. You don't understand what we face as spiritual leaders. There is an enemy that would love to strike down the shepherds to scatter the sheep. You see it in Scripture. You need to pray for us. You can do that during the services. We have people right now in a back room right behind me praying for you, for me, for this service. You can come out on Wednesday nights. Prayer meeting, what we do part of that time, we pray for the leaders of this church. I encourage you to come out on a Wednesday night, pray with us. Pray for the leaders of this church. Now, the Israelites, I want you to understand something else about them. They were very petty and personal. Appoint a leader. Let's go back to Egypt. Why would they want to go back to Egypt? I'm going to tell you in a minute, but this is what it really came down to. They were more concerned about the food on their plate than following God's plan. You realize that? They were more concerned about what they were going to eat and their creature comforts and what they wanted and how they wanted it done than God's beautiful, wonderful plan he had. They were so focused on their selfish desires right here and now instead of looking down the road what God was going to do. Here, this is what you can read about them. Exodus 16, 2. Whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Sons of Israel said, Would that we died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. Why? When we sat by the pots of meat. When we ate bread to the full. You, you brought us out here in the wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Yeah, that was God's plan. Numbers 11.4. Also, the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? Where's the meat on my plate? We remember the fish that we used to eat free in Egypt and cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. Now our appetite is gone. There's nothing at all to look at except this what? Manna. What was manna? Manna was God's beautiful provision that fell from heaven. We read last week it was like a wafer with honey. It was an incredible food that God had given them miraculously from heaven. And now all they can say is, all we got is this manna. God, give me, give me the veggies and give me the meat and give me the fruit and give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Ungrateful and selfish, so petty and so personal. God, fill my plate. I don't care about your plan. Sometimes God's people 
get petty and personal as well. All we care about what's on our plate. What's in this for me? I don't like that. I want this. And we miss the big plan. We get short-sighted and we just focus on our, our wants and our desires and our comforts and we whine about petty things. Why don't we sing my favorite songs? That's where I usually sit. Who's sitting in my seat? That's where I usually park. Who's parking there? Why aren't there services that fit my time schedule? We got five of them. We can't add any more. Been preaching five services for three years. I'm not whining. I'm not complaining. All right? I'm just telling you, just pick one. You can come early. You can come late. You can come in between. Don't get me going. Just repeat a very important phrase with me. Ready? It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. Turn to the person next to you. Tell them it's not about you. Now tell them it's not about me. Now tell them it's not about us. The Israelites, this is amazing. They were so petty and personal, but they were so forgetful. Oh my goodness, this is incredible. Appoint a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. You know what these people, they they are like some people who are what I call the good old days kind of people. Oh, the good old days. These people just live in the past and they long for the past. Oh, the good old days. Remember when? I got news for you. You're living right now, not then. You've got to make do the best of what you have now and let God lead you now to where God is taking you. Stop living in the past. The past is past. Stop longing for the past. The past is past. And here's the crazy thing about these Israelites. They forgot that the past also had problems. See, see we paint this rosy picture of the past like, like it was perfect. It's not perfect by any means. Egypt wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Let's go back to Egypt. Oh, really? You want to have your back whipped again by a taskmaster? Oh, really? Do you remember the law in Egypt that says all the firstborn sons shall be killed, throw them in the Nile? Oh, you want to go back to that? So your, your little babies will be eaten by uh, crocodiles and alligators, whatever they have over there. I don't know. What's going on? Because you forget the past. And here's the other thing. All the food, the onions, the leeks, the meat, bring it on. Listen carefully. The land has been decimated. Plague after plague after plague. The cattle are all dead. The crops have been destroyed. There's no fish in that stinking river. It was all blood and stench and deadness now. Oh, but they want to go back. Sometimes we forget. It wouldn't be good to go back to the past. Understand that. And here's something, probably the most tragic thing of all. They wanted to choose slavery of the world over freedom with God. Let's go back to slavery. And God is saying, I'm offering you freedom. Our sin natures are so stinking warped. Choose slavery over freedom? Yes, many people do. This world is filled with people living in slavery to sin. And they could have freedom in God. 
They've chosen slavery to alcohol and slavery to drugs and slavery to porn and slavery to immorality and slavery to greed and slavery to covetousness. And some of you here this morning are slaves. And God has offered you freedom. But you want the slavery of the world. And and the enemy, he's got a shackle of slavery for whatever you want. You want that slavery of porn? Put it right on you. Want you that slavery of drugs? Put it right on you. Want that slavery of having an affair with the next door neighbor's wife? Put it right on you. And then he'll just lead you around as his slave. God is saying, you want slavery? I'm offering you freedom in Christ. I'm offering you forgiveness. I'm I'm offering you to follow my ways, which are so much better than this world's ways. What are you doing? And by the way, they're missing out on all that God wanted to do for them. God wanted to bless them with a new home in a new land. God wanted to multiply their numbers and provide in incredible ways. And all they can think about is, what's in it for me? Put it on my plate. My desires, my wants, my wishes, my comforts. Come on, God, what's in it for me? Listen up, children of God. Listen up. Don't miss out on what God wants to do. God wants to bless this church with a new home. God wants to bless us with an incredible new place to worship. He has been so good to us. God wants to multiply our numbers and fill that place with lost souls and Christians in need of a church where they can worship and be fed the holy word of God. Listen up, don't be caught whining for the good old days. Don't be caught whining. Well, I don't know everybody now. I don't either. I'm the senior pastor. (laughs) Don't be caught whining. This church is getting too big. I liked it when it was smaller. I got to tell you, don't whine over what God wants to do with the future and long for the past. Praise God for what he's done. And let him continue to bless us with a new home and souls for his kingdom. I want to tell you, God is not giving us that building for us to stay comfortable. He is not giving us that building for us to stop reaching people. He's given us that to fill it with lost souls. That's why. He's given it to us for us to reach out to believers that don't have a church home. I want to tell you what I've already done. You can ask Nancy, my assistant. I've already got lists and lists and lists of people that I'm praying for. It's my prayer list and my invite list, and I want you to do the same thing. I've got a list of neighbors, and I've got a list of guys and ladies I see at the gym, and I've got a list of people, my kids are in sports, and those parents, and I've got a list of people at the school, and I've got a a list of people who used to come to this church, don't go to church anywhere anymore. I've got a list of them. I've got a miscellaneous list. I don't know where to put them, but I've got a miscellaneous list. I got a list of political people in the area locally who, who just, I'm going to invite them. By the way, our first Sunday in that day is going to be Easter Sunday in that new building. That is awesome. Now, we're going to be in there, Lord willing, for Easter Sunday, and then we're going to move out until the building is complete for about six or eight weeks later, and then we're going to have a grand opening celebration. But I want to encourage you to get your list going. Start thinking about people, praying for people. God, who do you want me to bring out? Who do you want me to invite? Lord, I want to fill this house for you. Be in prayer and think through that. You may say, well, what happened to these guys? 
arrogance, stubbornness, disobedience, forgetfulness, rebelliousness? What happened to these Israelites? It's a good, it's a good question. How could they turn their backs on God after all that he had done for them? After all the love that he incredibly showed them? I believe the answer lies in that their hearts never truly belong to God. I really do. I think they were too in love with themselves and too in love with Egypt, too in love with the world. I believe they were going through the motions. Yeah, the trumpet would sound, we'll follow the cloud. Yeah, we'll do this, we'll honor the Sabbath. Yeah, we'll do our religious thing. And they were just going through the motions. Some of you here today are just going through the motions. Your heart is really not God's. You're just going through the motions. You're too in love with this world and too in love with yourself. 1 John 2 tells us, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is what? I want you to understand, if you're in love with this world, the love of the Father is not in you. You can go through the motions, but God's love is not there. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world is passing away. It's not worth it to live for this world. And also it's lust, passing away. The one who does the will of God lives forever. It all comes down to love. Are you going to love the world or are you going to love God? Are you going to love self or are you going to love God? That's why God gave Israel the great Shema to be recited by them. In Deuteronomy 6, 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That's why when Jesus was asked what's the greatest or foremost commandment, he answered with these words in Mark chapter 12. Say them with me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength because he knows love for him will guard us. Love for him will protect us. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. And next week, we'll see God's response and how he opens up his heart, and he teaches us how to do the same thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage, just a couple verses that teach us so much. We thank you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Just take a moment right now and talk to your Lord. Talk to him about who you are loving Do you really love him more than this world? Maybe for some you need to confess sin. Maybe you just need to repent of rebellion, thinking that you've known better than God. Or maybe you just need to worship him and praise him. Just give thanks to him right now for who he is and how much he loves you and how he's provided for you and how he's led you. Just give him thanks right now. You may be here this morning and you've never truly come to know the Lord as your Savior. You're one of those that have been going through the motions. You may say, Scott, that's me. I want God in my heart. I want him in my life. I need forgiveness. What do I do? The quietness of your heart, just right now, call out to him in faith. Just use words like these. Lord, Lord Jesus, I am a wicked sinner. I've been in rebellion against you. 
would you please forgive me? Please save me from my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for loving me that much. Lord, I place my faith in you to save me. I can't save myself. Please save me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've called out to the Lord, we'd love to talk to you about that decision.